0: But Disney World, <clears throat> um, there's no COVID in Orlando. Um, there are just masses of people, and they cram you in as close as you can possibly get to other people when you're in Disney World. It's, uh, it's a bit jarring when you first walk in because there are just so many people. Um, so if you've ever been to Magic Kingdom, the, every night they gather around Cinderella's castle and they light it up uh, in amazing ways. There's lasers, there's fireworks. They project the Disney movies onto the castle. And so uh, thousands of people gather in this big uh, courtyard area at the front of the castle, thousands of us. So we're like, we need to, the full Disney experience. We're going to get down in there. So I got a stroller with my four-year-old Violet in it. And I got Henry and, and Rosie there with me. And then my, the cousins and my uncle and aunt. And so we're all, we got a center stage. We just got right where we wanted to be. There's the castle. We're ready. And then we look around and realize what we've done to ourselves. As far as the eye can see in every direction, people. Shoulder to shoulder. I mean just packed. Two-minute warning. Show starts in two minutes. So my four-year-old looks up at me and says, I have to pee. She says, I have to pee and I said no you don't you don't Um, we tried to reason with her would you rather watch this show or go to the bathroom there's no way I could get her to the bathroom like we're we're crowded in there's no moving and so she's like I want to watch the show so I said okay um, I'll distract her with the show and I'll put her on my shoulders Yeah, you already know what the punchline is, don't you? You're smarter than me. Just a couple minutes in, and my neck is wet. And so I quickly, like, whip her down off of my neck, and uh, she finishes the job standing there just inches from what seems like a very sweet woman in front of her. Uh, I don't know if, but one step back and she's in a pool of pee so Violet said oh look there's my pee and I said shh it's a secret we're not going to tell anybody so she was wearing a princess dress with like pants under it so I was able to just you know take off the pants and she's wearing the dress and so nobody's the wiser and I pick her back up on the shoulder this time instead of the neck and we finish the show um, and then what happens is really hard to explain, but imagine you're on an island, and someone tells the thousands of people on the island that a bomb's gonna hit that island in five minutes, and there's one exit. That's what happens when the light show is over. All of us try to leave through one exit, and it's just, oh, it's chaos. It's just pushing, and, and I have a stroller, so I'm hitting everybody's heels. So we told our kids, hold hands, stay together, dad has the stroller, I won't be able to stay with you, but hold hands, don't get lost. I, my brother-in-law had Mickey ears, so I watched his head bobbing in the crowd. So we got separated, but I was able to follow his Disney Mickey head and, and eventually get back together with him, but we said, please don't get lost. We instilled in our kids, like, please, don't get lost. It's like a parent's nightmare at Disney is their kids getting lost because there's so many people. So I was thinking about that so much. I did Google, like, what happens when a kid gets lost at Disney? We had a few moments, but there were just like, they were like 30 seconds of lost kid, right? Like, where's Henry? And so, like, for 30 seconds, we're looking for Henry. Oh, there's Henry. We found him. Okay, everything's fine. The longest it ever happened to us was um, Violet was lost for a few minutes. When we were at Epcot, Epcot has a themed area. So one themed area is England. And so uh, in this area, they had these gardens that you might imagine to be in England with the hedges, and then you go in a maze, so we found that we said to the kids go play, and so they went to play. And then we said it's time to leave. And so where's Violet? And then we start searching for Violet. And then the minute goes by, and we're like really starting to get concerned. Where is Violet? Uh, so Carol and I are looking. I turn to Henry and Rose. I'm like, find your sister. So they're going in through this maze. Finally, we find her, and she is hiding. Uh, She's got the game confused, I guess. But we explained to her, like, there's no hiding in Disney World ever. Never hide. Um, so when you Google lost kids at Disney, all kinds of stories come up because everyone has a lost kids story. Um, and so, but my favorite one that I found of lost kids stories at Disney was this husband and wife uh, tell this story about how they were eating a pretzel, sitting on a curb, and a little boy came up to them and asked to share the pretzel with him. And so they do, and the husband and wife are confused, and um, so they're talking to the little boy, and then uh, the wife realizes, like, this kid is lost, and he doesn't know he's lost. He's so distracted with Disney World, I don't think he knows that we're not his parents. Like, he's just... So she gets up and goes and gets a Disney worker, brings the Disney worker over, and the Disney worker talks to the child, and it's at this moment that the child realizes He's lost. And I guess he just melts down, just, you know, with overcome with the fact that he's lost. He's just now realizing it, though, that he's not with his parents. And so Disney does their magic, and they connect him with his parents. Apparently, every day, Disney is finding lost kids and connecting them back with their parents. So it's always a happy ending, it seems like, at Disney World Parks, at least. Um, So I know what it's like to lose a kid for a few moments. I can't imagine what it's like to lose a kid for any longer period of time than that. But what we've come here to discuss this morning is what does Jesus teach about salvation? And what I want us to see from Luke chapter 19 this morning is this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. I'm just giving away the punchline at the beginning. Here's what Jesus taught about salvation. He taught that the reason he came was to seek and to save the lost. His children are lost, and he sent Jesus down to find them. That's why Jesus came, so that he would seek and save lost sinners. So whatever distress I felt when I lost a child for a few moments, we have to try and appreciate what happens in the heart of God when he looks down and he sees that his children are lost. He's so moved that he sends his son down to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the point. A lot of people say that Jesus is a great teacher and he came to show us a better way to live. And that's true. But the point is, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's not just an example to follow. He came and if he had not come, then we would still be lost. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. We get this from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and a rather familiar story of Zacchaeus. And so if you allow me to read it for you, we'll see this teaching at this time, Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We've already seen the highlighted verse at the end, so let's circle back to the beginning. Verse 1 He entered Jericho and was passing through. Where is Jesus heading? because Jericho is just a pass-through. He's headed to Jerusalem. This is the tail end of Jesus' ministry. His goal is to get to Jerusalem. Why? So that he can die on the cross to save the world from their sins. That's the direction Jesus is headed in. That's his destination. He's just passing through Jericho. So let's pause for a moment, just right at the beginning, and make a point. You and I this week are gonna be on our way somewhere, wherever it is, the dentist, the store, work, the break room. You have a destination. None of our destinations compare to Jesus's. He was on his way to Jerusalem to save the world from their sins. None of your destinations compare. And yet, on his way, what did he do? He stopped so that he could connect with Zacchaeus, who was curious and seeking after Jesus. So here's the simple point, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you're passing through this week, whether it's a church lobby, or you're passing through your break room, or you're passing through a school bus stop, or you're passing by your neighbor's house on the way to yours, wherever you are passing through this week, will you have eyes to look and to see where Zacchaeus is? But we're real busy people, aren't we? We're always rushing. The, it's fair for you to respond to that and say, um, that's not fair. Because Jesus could look into a crowd and could see people's hearts. And I can't. So I don't know who's Zacchaeus. Jesus walked up to just one guy. How do I know who that person is when I walk through the lobby? It's a fair critique. I shared this earlier, but Caroline and I went to a conference in Orlando, um, and the theme of it was on the Holy Spirit. So as I'm at that conference, I'm, I'm really uh, listening and introspective and, and beginning to realize that I think most of the time I tend to ignore the third person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit. It's because I don't really understand who he is and what he does. Right? He's, he's a fire. He's like wind. Okay, we still haven't gotten anywhere, have we? There's great debate as to how he works. And I know from personal experience that he can fill me and, and I can feel it in this space, but then I can, I can replicate that exact same space and, and be in it and then nothing. I feel nothing. I can ask for him to give me the strength and the courage and then feel no strength and feel no courage. I don't understand how the Holy Spirit works and it's frustrating. And so what I tend to do, since I can't understand the Holy Spirit and I don't know how to interact with him sometimes, I tend to just ignore him. But I wonder if it's true that the Holy Spirit abides in me. If that's true and I believe it, then what would it look like as, as I leave here today and go into that lobby if I were to pray as I pass through that lobby, God, give me eyes to see, give me the words to say. It can't hurt. But what could it do? It could actually work. It could actually be that God is living within me in the Holy Spirit, and he really could guide me to a Zacchaeus in the lobby, or in my neighborhood, or at my school, or in the grocery store line. It could happen because the Holy Spirit truly is abiding in me, and if I really do believe that, then he has the power to direct me and to give me words and to help me see and prompt my spirit to talk to this person or to say that thing. The Holy Spirit is real. I can tell you, uh, the only time that's a a rhythm in my life to really pray that the Holy Spirit speaks through me is is when I come up here, and whenever I walk into a hospital room or into a visitation situation, Why do I do that? Because in those moments, I feel weak. I'm walking into that hotel, I feel weak, or hospital, I feel weak, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure, I don't know how to do that, I don't know what to say. So every time I walk in, I pray, oh God, give me the words to say, use me, speak through me, Holy Spirit, I don't, and every time I feel he does. But the question is why, why don't I, do that when I walk into the grocery store, because Zacchaeus might be in the grocery store. It's just as he was passing through. May the Holy Spirit guide us this week as we are passing through our Jericho. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. So Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's not just an average tax collector, he's the chief one. So Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. He's just your average, ordinary tax collector. And we tend to think that tax collectors in these times were corrupt individuals who were extorting their poor so that they could line their own pockets and get rich. The way it was set up, if you remember in the times of, of Jesus, the Jewish people were living in their land of Israel with Roman occupation. And so the Romans were there enforcing their rule they allowed them to have their uh, own language. They allowed them to uh, uh, keep their faith traditions. But they just said, you're going to pay taxes to us. So when any time a Jew would say, like, I'm going to go and be a tax collector, I'm going to work for the Roman occupying force and gather money to fund them, then they were cut off, right? They're a traitor. So he's the, tra- he's the head of all of the traitors, He has turned his back on his family, on his people, on his faith. He's declared unclean by the temple. He's not a welcome in the temple. He's not even allowed to have other Jewish people associate with him because if they associate with him, then they, by by contact with him, are unclean as well. Cut off. He has no circle amongst the Romans because to the Romans, he's just a Jew. So, Zacchaeus, it's fair to assume, is very wealthy. It tells us that. It's fair to assume he's successful. He's the chief of all tax collectors. So he has wealth, and he has success, and he has a great deal of power, but he is most certainly lonely, and he is most certainly empty, disconnected, and searching for something that money and success and power can't bring him. Can you relate to any of that? Success, but not feeling filled up. Money and and comforts of life, but not satisfied. Lonely, disconnected, still searching. You wouldn't be here today or online today if there wasn't a little bit of Zacchaeus in you. Christian or non-Christian alike, hopefully we all come here today because we're a little bit curious And we'd like to see Jesus. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, verse three, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I can relate to this only a little bit because I'm normally the tallest guy in a crowd. So having come from Disney World with large crowds, I was typically fine, right? Like we sit down for a show, I got no problem, I can see, but I'm with my kids. So almost every environment I'm in, I got tugging on my arms or legs, I can't see, I can't see. So I'm regularly picking them up so they can see what I can see that they can't. So I, I get it. It's just a simple fact of the story. Zacchaeus is short and he can't see Jesus, so he climbs a tree. If you've been around Northgate for a while, then you know that I love trees, In the fall, we did a whole sermon series on trees of the Bible. We planted a tree out in the parking lot out there that I'm excited for it to come into bloom this spring. But for all that sermon series, we never talked about the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed up into. So give me a minute, okay? The sycamore tree. Now, what's interesting about the sycamore tree is it's not like the sycamore trees you and I see. It's not the variety that we have around us. It's a totally different variety. It was known for big, broad, low branches. And so that's why he was able to climb up into it. Its name is the ficus sycamoris. Interestingly, I don't know how they figure this stuff out, but they think that this tree, this species of tree, was brought to Jericho thousands of years before Jesus by the Philistines. So it wasn't native to Jericho What we know about Jericho from the Bible is in Deuteronomy 34, it's referred to as the city of palms. So as you read through uh, historians or people that study these things, that's what Jericho is known for, was palm trees. And so someday I'm going to write a children's book, and if you get to it before I do, you have my blessing. And here is the children's book. In the city of palm trees, there sits a sycamore tree, and it was brought there by the enemies of God. And it never fit in. It always felt different than all the other trees. And all the other trees were popular, except for this little sycamore, who didn't get to be by a lake or by a river, but had to be stuck by a dusty roadside and always felt less than and left out and different from all the other trees until one day, Zacchaeus climbed up into him as Jesus walked by, and he was able to meet God because of the tree. God is sovereign in every way imaginable, from the trees to the people all around us. He is sovereign. When we were in our Trees of the Bible series, I would often say, here's the application, be like a tree. And so here's the application, be like a tree and help someone see Jesus. When Jesus came to the place, you know, he's at the foot of the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry and come down. What we have to appreciate about this story is something that probably gets lost after thousands of years in a different culture and time, and that is Zacchaeus is the least likely person in the crowd for Jesus to seek out. He's the worst guy in the crowd. He is a traitor, he has gotten rich off of the backs of the poor. He has made a lifestyle out of stealing. He has climbed to the top of the ladder. He is the chief of all of the tax collectors. He is the one person in the crowd that Jesus ought not to have sought out. And that's the very person that Jesus approaches the least likely. Who in your mind is the least likely person to come to Jesus? So picture them in your mind. I have I have a face in my mind, a name in my mind. You do the same, right? Someone in your network, you're like, no, nope, not gonna happen. Not that person. Okay? Jesus came to earth to seek and to save that person. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. So if you're thinking in your mind of someone who is the most lost of anyone that you know, they're the most lost, then that's the person that Jesus is seeking after because he came to seek and to save the lost. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but there is no one beyond the grace of God. I don't care who you are. Maybe you're, you're drowning in this, in this shame, right? You've buried yourself in shame because of who you are, but that God wants you all the more. Maybe you feel lost and very, very far from God today, but that means that God is seeking after you because Jesus leaves the 99 to go and find the one that is lost. Maybe you feel so guilty, but however that weight of guilt that's on you, Jesus is standing before you and he wants you. He wants you. Hurry and come down. Hurry, hurry. I'm 40 years old. I've been a Christian for 30-some years. Sometimes God speaks, and you can feel him tugging at your heart. He calls people in different ways at different times. But if you sense the voice of God calling you, then you need to hurry and climb down and respond because I'm telling you from 30-some years of experience, that doesn't always happen. If you're sensing the call of God in your heart in this moment, then you ought to respond. You ought to repent of whatever sin comes to mind. You ought to admit your need for a Savior, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and then commit yourself to following after him. Because Jesus stopped at the base of that tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. And he is speaking to you this morning. Listen, I think he's saying hurry as well. Respond if God is calling you. That's what God does He seeks out Zacchaeus. And if you sense that God is seeking after you right now, what a tremendous blessing to be in that moment. Please respond. Please hurry. It's not every day that God speaks to you that way. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That's how Zacchaeus responded. The question is how will you respond? How will I respond? But that's how Zacchaeus responded. He hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I believe there's a Zacchaeus in the crowd today. Here in the room or online, I think there's a Zacchaeus. Someone who's curious and someone who is sensing the call of God to repent of their sins and trust in him as their savior. But I think probably most of us are they, right? Because we're following Jesus. That's the they, they all. Who's they? Oh, it's everyone who's following Jesus. So some of them had followed him probably because he's walking through Jericho and there's a crowd. And so they came out to follow the crowd. So you're here today and you're following Jesus. By sitting here, you're, you're following him. Some of you have been following him longer than others, Some of the crowd, they followed him from Galilee, but others in the they all were followers of Jesus. They were with him from the first day. They were his closest followers. And it says they all, all of them grumbled. said, why would he go into the house of a sinner? Why do they grumble? Probably there's a a lot of reasons. Probably there's some jealousy, right? Jealousy, like why wouldn't Jesus come to my house? Probably they feel underappreciated. I've given up my time. I'm here. I'm following. And Jesus goes into his house? Pride. Comparison. I'm better than him. Why wouldn't Jesus come to my house? I'm better. Self-righteousness. I keep the commandments. I obey God. Why would would they get the attention if, if I'm the one who's obeying God? It's because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's just so absurd the way we treat ourselves sometimes. We treat one another. I'm not saying you all do it, but I've been around church long enough to hear these same stories you do, and hopefully they're all made up. But I can't believe that they would come here wearing that. I can't believe they would come to church wearing that versus I am so happy that someone who wears that is at church. We love to compare. We love to assume the worst. We love to judge other people. I can't believe they're at church because I know where they were last night versus I know where they were last night and I am so thankful that they came to church this morning. I can't believe that person sits over there because I know, I know their political position on X, Y, and Z. I can't believe they would come here and sit in this church. Versus I know that person's political position on X, Y, and Z, and I am so grateful that they came to church today to hear the truth of God's word. Do you see the difference? Let's not be found among the they who are grumbling because sinners are in the presence of Jesus, the Savior. Let's celebrate it whenever sinners are in the presence of Jesus, the Savior. Let's not be counted among the they. Can you imagine how absurd it would be if, if my little four year old got lost at Disney? And then I turned to my sister and said, Please help me find Violet. And then I go and look, and then my sister turns to her husband and says, He is so rude, isn't he? My brother is being so rude. I'm getting no attention right now. It's absurd. It's laughable. Why? Because whenever you lose a child, you have a laser focus on finding that child. And such it must be in the heart of God as he looks down from heaven and says, Oh, look, there's so many lost people all around you. I'm sorry you don't feel like you're getting attention, but I came to seek and to save the lost. and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What's interesting is we don't have any discussion. They just jumped over a lot of stuff in the story, right? They skipped over Jesus going into his house. We don't know what they talk about in the house. We don't know how long he stays in the house. All we know is at some point after Jesus being with them, Zacchaeus is, has evidence of faith, We're not even shown his conversion, but we know that Zacchaeus has trusted in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Someone once said, and it has often been repeated, we aren't saved by works, but we are saved by a faith that works. And he is demonstrating that, isn't he? He's demonstrating the words of James, chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. Faith without works is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. I will say, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Zacchaeus is demonstrating for us all the fact that he has turned from his sin, he has admitted that he is a sinner, he has believed in Jesus Christ and he has committed to following him and has changed his life. And what Zacchaeus has not done is he has not said, what's the least I can do? What's the least I can give? What's the, the least amount of time? What's the lowest level of commitment that I can make here? Zacchaeus shows us what it looks like to turn and have this tremendous amount of gratitude for the salvation we've just received. And he says, I give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I have extorted anyone, then I will give back fourfold what I have stolen. Above and beyond. There's no question that Zacchaeus, hasn't, he has responded to salvation. He has believed and he has works to demonstrate it. I think sometimes, It's valuable for us as Christian brothers and sisters to ask one another tactfully and worded really well how do you know you're a Christian? We should be able to have that conversation. We should be able to say to one another well well, I was different before. I mean before I was selfish or before I was really prideful or before I was addicted or before but now I've met Jesus. Now, everybody's story is different, right? Like I can't tell that story like some of you can because I don't remember not knowing Jesus. But I can tell you that I was different 10 years ago than I am today, and I can tell you I was different five years ago than I am today, and I can tell you that hopefully uh, I'm not the same today as I was a few weeks ago because, why? Because I am regularly admitting my need for Jesus, trusting in him and recommitting my life to obedience to him. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. There's only two kinds of people in the world. There's lost people and there's found people. Zacchaeus is found. Are you found? Do you demonstrate it in your life? Do you demonstrate it in how you spend your money? Do you demonstrate it in how you spend your time? Do you demonstrate it in your obedience to God? Do you do do the bare minimum? Or do you go above and beyond? There's only lost people and found people. Only two types. This is the story of God's word from beginning to end. That God came to seek and to save that which he lost. He lost. It was lost in the Garden of Eden, remember that? Look at the similarities, I think that's pretty cool. Between the first pages of the Bible and Zacchaeus. You got people hanging out around trees and you have God walking alongside and finding them. Adam and Eve eat the fruit and then they hide in the trees and the bushes and then God comes along right and he leads them in the path of salvation. Zacchaeus is up in a tree and along God comes walking along and he seeks and he saves that which he has lost. It's the story of the whole Bible. You could turn to Ezekiel, but I'll read it for you. 34, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. That's the story of God's word. And then when Jesus comes, what what does the angel tell Joseph? The angel tells Joseph, He will save his people from their sins. What does Jesus teach us about salvation? His whole life, He is salvation. That's why when they took the baby into the temple after Jesus was born, Zechariah holds the baby and he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus teaches us that He came to seek and to save the lost. He is our Savior. And there's only two types of people lost and found. Who are you this morning? Are you lost like Zacchaeus? So if you're lost like Zacchaeus, and that means that you're, you're curious, and you're, you're pretty self-aware, and you know that there's an emptiness, and you know there's something that you're not filling, maybe nobody else knows. Maybe you're the picture of success and wealth and power, but you're deeply curious, And you just want to see Jesus. You just want to see if he can answer your questions. If that's you this morning, then just know this, that that Jesus is at the foot of your tree and he has invited you with open arms. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and be with them. I will eat with them. Respond in faith if you hear his voice. Admit your need for him. Believe in him and then commit to following him. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, and choose. Who are you this morning? Are you found? If you have been found, then praise the Lord. Praise God. May you live a life of gratitude for being found. Zacchaeus' life was changed. How has your life changed? Are you going to join him on his mission? Jesus' final words before he went up to heaven is he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is saying, do what I did. You see what I did the last few years? I made disciples and I want you to go go and do the same. Be like Jesus, be like Zacchaeus, be willing to sacrifice, be willing to be extravagant in your sacrifices for Jesus. Or, Or be like a tree and help people get to Jesus. Who are you this morning? I'm pretty convinced that most people, not necessarily in this room, but most people are unaware that they are lost see, there's lost people like Zacchaeus, and then there's lost people like the boy at Disney World who didn't even know he was lost because he's so distracted, right? He's so comfortable, and there's bright lights everywhere, and there's something for him to look at, and I think that's most people around us today. They're lost, they just don't know it, and it's just tragic. We tell ourselves things like this. We say, oh, I'm not lost, no, I'm fine. You see, I have it figured out. See, there's a, there's a mountain and, and God's at the top of the mountain. And I'm just gonna keep making my way towards the top and, and I'll get there, so thank you, Now I'm not lost at all. I know where I'm going. And you know what? On the other side of the mountain, Muslims, they're finding their way to God and the Buddhists, they're finding their way to God and, and everybody's making their way up the mountain. They're just all taking different paths. None of us are lost. We're all just making our way to God. That just sounds lovely, but, it's, but just for clarity, that is not what Jesus teaches, and that is not what this book teaches. Jesus said very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's very exclusive. But the good news of Christianity that distinguishes it from all other religions, is that we are not on a pathway up to God on the top of a mountain. Our God came down from the mountain and he came down here to where we are, lost. And he said, oh, my child, you're lost. And if you will follow me, I will lead you to life. I will lead you to truth. I will lead you to the Father if you follow the way that I am walking on. That's the good news of Christianity. People around you are lost, they just don't know it. You may be lost and self-deceived. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that you can see that today. I pray that we can help our friends see that in in gracious and kind, loving ways. Who are you this morning, lost or found? Jesus came to seek and to save you. If you lost your child, what would you do to find them? God is asking you to join him on his mission of finding his lost children, that's what we go to do.